Have you ever noticed during this month, this holiday season, the Christmas season, how life can get so busy and so crazy and so hectic that we can crowd Christ right out of Christmas? My concern is that sometimes this is what happens is we can hone in on that one day, December 25, when we set that aside and uh, we open our presents and we read the Bible story and we make it a special day. But then throughout the entire month, but then spreads into the entire year, we get so hectic that we put Christ right out of our lives. I think it happens. It happens to me. Busyness. I want to draw our minds and our thoughts this week and next week just to the simple message of Christ and encourage you, church, to simplify your Christmas. I think that needs to happen. And I believe that simplicity works. I know it's hard to do because as things get more and more complex, it's sometimes hard to strip things back and say, we're going to keep it pretty simple. We've done that around here this year for Christmas. Everybody knows there's no Christmas trees? Someone asked me the other day, Brian, where's the Christmas trees? Well, we said we're going to keep it simple. It goes with the message. Can you have Christmas without Christmas trees? Can you have Christmas without gifts? Can you have Christmas and all the decorations and all the parties and all the hubbub? I believe you can. Is it wrong to do those things? It's not wrong to do those things, but it's wrong when it puts Christ out. My plea to today is that we can live a simple life, and I believe it works. For instance... Simplicity, you see it around you all the time. You may not realize it. Many of you use this search engine, Google. Maybe you've been on there even today. Look at that page. See how simple that is? It's a very clean search engine, about 30 words, give or take, maybe 35 words on that page. Compared to Yahoo, look at that. Look how complex that is. Look at all the words on it and pictures and tabs and things to choose. Now you say, well, how do you know that works? Go back to that Google page for a moment. That Google, in February 2013, February, in one month, there was 1.52 billion search engine users hitting a search engine somewhere. Of the 1.52 billion, 1.17 billion used Google, 77% compared to that Yahoo one. Look at that one. Busyness, 292 million. And those who study all that stuff say, wondering why Google is used so much is because it's very simple. But you say, well, okay, that's one example. What other things? Let me show you some logos. You've seen these before and you'll be familiar with them. What's that one? Nike. It is the biggest industry. It's the biggest seller of athletic apparel. I mean, we all know. One little simple swoosh. We know what that is. Simple. Look at this next one. What's that? Apple. It's taken over the computer world. I mean, Apple has everything. The tablet and the phone and computers and books and tablet. I mean, galore. We know one simple logo catches your attention. What about this one? Twitter. Now, some of you who are older are going, that's a tweet, tweet bird. <laughs> that's, a, that's a logo for Twitter. And it's taken over social media. And it's one of the largest social media uh, avenues that people use. And then there's an airline that some of you probably fly, Southwest. North America is probably most sex successful and profitable airline, also very simple. They have no assigned seats, just groups based on arrival time. Food is very minimal. There's no hubs. Planes fly the shortest distance between two points. That makes sense, doesn't it? 
They keep it pretty simple. There's, there's no hubs to go to. Simplicity saves passengers money and makes money for Southwest Airlines. Papa John's founder, John Schnatter, says at Papa John's, we have a simple formula for success. Focus on one thing and try to do it better than anyone else. By keeping the Papa John's menu simple, we're able to focus on the quality of our product by using only superior quality ingredients. They keep it simple. And God has a simple plan that we have made very complicated at times. His simple plan is Jesus. It's Jesus. And in our culture today, that gets pushed aside because we've made Christmas so complicated. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 is a great account of what happens and how all this comes about as the birth of Jesus is told. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, in the, next, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, you, you have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will shadow overshadow you so the holy one to be born will be called the son of god even elizabeth your relative is going to have a child in her old age and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month for nothing is impossible with god i am the lord's servant mary answered may it be to me as you have said then the angel left her if you jump down to verse 46 then after she makes her visit to elizabeth and find out that they're both elizabeth's pregnant she and mary's going to be pregnant mary then writes this song or sings this song it's really a prayer mary says my soul glorifies the lord and my spirit rejoices in god my savior for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant from now on all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me holy is his name his mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped the servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as He, lay, even as he has said to our fathers." Heavenly Father, speak to us this morning through your word. Help us to hear, God, a message from you. Help us, Lord, to just look at the simple message of Jesus and to respond to it. Open our eyes and our ears, Lord, this morning to hear from you. In the midst of all the noise and the hustle and the bustle and the shopping and the parties and the gatherings and the get-togethers and the stress and anxiety, all that comes with this Christmas season, Lord, help us right now just to hear from you. God, I ask that your message would rise above the noise. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. Have you ever noticed in your life that as you get older, it's hard to receive gifts compared to when you were younger? I think for a child, it's so much easier to receive a gift than it is for us adults. 
I remember when I was a kid, and some of you heard me share this story before, we used to have a Christmas gathering, be me and my aunts and uncles and some cousins and different ones. Usually on Christmas Eve night, we'd get together, and there'd be a lot of gift exchanging and gift sharing going on. And so we'd go home and take our gifts and usually set those in the living room by the Christmas tree and end up hitting bed, you know, late, maybe 11, 12 o'clock, and thinking, I'm, I'm get up, Santa Claus doesn't come. Of course, Mom and Dad are encouraging you, you got to get to bed, you got to get to bed so Santa can come. And so we get to bed, and inevitably, my sister and I, were the early risers. No kidding, it'd be like three in the morning. Either she was up or I was up. Whoever was up first waking the other one up. And we get up like at three in the morning, sitting in the living room, playing with our toys, thinking, I want to wake mom and dad up. I want to wake mom and dad up. We want to open all the gifts as the gifts are sitting at the tree. We thought, we can't wake up this early. And so we'd wait, and she'd be like, let's wake him up. I'm like, no, you got to wait. No, no, we'd back and forth. Finally, about five o'clock, I'd be waking my dad up. Dad, mom, Santa came. I want to open my gifts. I remember going through that, and my dad dragged himself out of bed. Son, i got to have my pot of coffee. My mom, i got to have my tea. And they would drag it on before we could start opening gifts. And for some reason, my brother Gerald was a weird one. He slept in the basement. He never woke up. We'd go down and wake him up. Why are you wake me up so early? You know, but um, we were anticipating opening those gifts. Could not wait. And then something happens as you get older when people give you gifts, you don't receive them as well. Have you ever said to somebody, oh, you shouldn't have done that? Oh, you didn't need to give me a gift for that. We tend to shy away from it. My birthday was a few weeks ago, and you know, my kids know. I'm like, man, don't spend money on gifts. I don't want to spend money on gifts. Like, receiving them is kind of a weird thing. As you get to be an adult, sometimes we kind of get closed off to receiving those gifts. Christmas is certainly about giving. But it's about a God who gives. We celebrate God giving Jesus to be our Savior, but Christmas is more than just giving gifts. It's also about receiving gifts. About one particular gift for sure, and that's Jesus. How well are you doing today about receiving Jesus? And I'm talking about more than if it was just, hey, at one time in my life I made that profession of faith. At one time in my life I submitted and said, yes, Jesus is my Savior. I want to be my Savior. But on a daily, regular basis, do you continue to receive the gifts that Jesus has for you? Sometimes it's hard for us, just like opening presents. Sometimes it's hard to say, you know, he has more stuff for me, he has more gifts for me, he has more direction for me, he has more purpose for me, he has more ideas, he has more help for me, and I'm supposed to receive that stuff? See, Mary was a recipient of a great gift. God gave Mary the gift of being the mother of Jesus, the very Son of God. I could imagine, wait, not me. I don't want to receive that gift. Why would you choose me to receive that gift? That was not her response. Her response, we saw it in verse 38. She said, let it be to me according to your word. I mean, in other words, she's saying, I'll receive the gift. I'll be the one to bring Jesus as if she opened her arms and received the, the love and the peace and the hope and the joy of the world and said, I'll be the one. I'll receive Jesus. God offers his gift, the love of Jesus Christ, his whole world. There's some who haven't received it. And, and let me warn you, church. Open your eyes this Christmas season. As you go from a, maybe a family gathering, maybe to a, a work party, to gift-sharing events, getting together with your small groups, whoever it is, sharing with a neighbor, maybe dropping off some cookies, as you are doing all that, you have an opportunity to share Jesus. You have an opportunity to point people to the greatest gift ever who's come. 
and the greatest one who continues to bring gifts. As Mary thought about the precious gift of God's love he offered her, she burst into a flame of praise. Luke 1.46 says, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has been mindful of the humble state of His servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. I mean, she could not help but to praise God for what He had done. But then she realizes at the same time, not everyone's going to receive God's love. Some are going to be closed off to it. In verse 50, she says, His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. When she says, His mercy extends to those who fear Him, she's realizing some will not fear Him. In other words, honor and respect and submit their lives to Him. She's saying, this is for generation to generation, and so it even extends to us. But she's realizing some are not going to do that. See, God's mercy is for everyone who receives it. She knows the sad truth. The sad truth is that those are some people are, are closed off from receiving God's mercy. Some are closed off from receiving God's love. Some hands do not want to see it. Some hands are closed. And so today I want to talk about what Mary's song teaches us. There are three types of people that she kind of addresses in her song who do not receive. Or, or they miss out on God's mercy and God's love, the gifts that God has. And even if you are walking in Christ today, sometimes we're missing out of these because she addresses our attitude or our minds or roadblocks that are in us that stop us from receiving simple gifts this Christmas. One roadblock is the proud. If you will for a moment, fold your arms across your chest like this. Some of you are really good at it because it's your normal posture. <laughs> For some, you're like, I'm not really sure, but fold your arms across. This is the symbol of the proud. This is the symbol of the proud. Those are those who consider themselves too smart to need God. I've got it all figured out. I don't need God. I've got life conquered. Why would I need a, a God to send me a baby? Why would I need a God to give me a, a Savior? And praising God, Mary said, He has performed mighty deeds with His arm, he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. It's a warning in her praising. There's a warning that those who are proud will be scattered. They'll be, they'll be separated, basically. There are those whose hearts are closed to anything that cannot be proven to their satisfaction. There are some that say, until it's proven scientifically, there's no way I'm going to believe in this stuff. For them, faith is unreasonable and receiving God's love is impossible. Carl Sagan is one of those, was certainly like that. His belief in God or any God could not measure his scientific standard. Sagan said, I would, I would love to believe that when I die, I will live again. That some thinking, feeling, remembering part of me will continue. But as much as I want to believe that, and despite the ancient and worldwide cultural traditions that assert an afterlife, I know of nothing to suggest that it is more than wishful thinking. Carl Sagan, who thought he was a great scientific scientist, was so incredibly closed to the gospel. His arms were folded across because he was proud. There's no way to prove this stuff to me. Oh, I wish somebody could, but there's no way. He was closed off to the love of God. And the proud, when you're proud and you think, I've got it all figured out, I don't need any more God. I've got, I've got this thing figured out. You're closed off. You're missing out on some great gifts of God's love and God's grace and God's mercy. And, and for most of us in this room, we probably say, well, that's not me. I believe in Jesus. I believe in God. I believe in the Bible. You know, Brian, you're talking about someone who says, no way, I don't believe in faith at all. No, I, 
I'm not talking just about that. Your arms are closed off when you're too proud to change. Oh yeah, he preached that sermon, but man, I don't know if I'm going to change that area of my life. Oh yeah, in my small group we were discussing, but I don't know if I really want to deal with that and change that, because I'm happy with where I am. And why would I want to change that? For, for the proud, you know, we just went through a series on being in God's Word and how important God's Word is. The proud says, I don't really need to get into God's Word. I don't have time for that. I'm too busy. I, I'm too distracted. And God's Word, one day I'll get there. That's the proud. The, the, the proud is I want to debate God's Word and His existence. The proud says, I'm not sure that I'm really going to believe all this. The proud says, I don't believe that God is really working in my life. The proud person says, well, he works in other people's life, but he doesn't work in my life. That's a roadblock. And until you can break down and say, God, my arms are open. Until you can break down and say, I don't sit with my arms full and saying, God, just do something. I, I, I'm too good and you can't really do it. Until we can open ourselves up, we're going to miss out on gifts that God has for us. Roadblock number two is the powerful. The symbol like for that one is do this with me. Raise your fist. I can see some of you are not participating. <laughs> Don't be too proudful. Raise your fist. That's the sign of the powerful. Steve, I like it. Steve's like, I got it. Show me your guns. <laughs> I didn't have anybody like that first service, Steve. I'm glad you're participating. Thank you. Mary in her song, praise God, she said in verse 52, He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble that's talking about the powerful, the, the ones, the rulers from their thrones, but lifted up the humble, raised them up. The problem with the, with the powerful is that they believe that they have no need for God. It, it is no coincidence that faith in Christ is the fasting growing uh, Christian, Christian movement in developing countries where people are powerless and where they are being um, persecuted. A few years ago, it was in Rwanda and Burundi. At the time when there was persecution, where there was hundreds and thousands were being killed by, by well-armed soldiers and paramilitary types, tens of thousands of people were coming to Christ. Today, and you won't see this on CNN or on Fox News, while ISIS is spreading so fast and lives are being taken, Christianity is taken off like a wildfire in these foreign countries. You won't hear that. You won't hear about the Muslims who are converting to Jesus Christ. The news is not going to tell you that. Not long ago, I was in a meeting about the missionary convention that's coming to ICOM, International Conference on Missions, that's coming to Lexington in, in November of 2016. We'll be down at Rupp Arena. I'm on the planning committee for that. And they were sharing about the unreached people groups. You know, in about 10 years ago, there was about 10,000 unreached people groups. That number now, depending on who you study and look at, is somewhere down around 2,000 unreached people groups. Christianity is spreading across foreign lands where at one time there should never be churches and never be the name of Jesus spoken. It's spreading with thousands and thousands of people. But you know where it's not spreading fast? In America where we're too powerful, where we think we got it all figured out and we have it all together. See, in America, we cannot start enough churches and build enough churches for the rate that churches are closing their doors. It's not power that is the problem. It's a belief that because one is powerful that they have no need for God. 
And when you think I've got it all figured out and I'm strong enough on my own, your fists are raised up, why do I need God? I have it all together. Have you been leading a closed fist life lately? One that's closed to receiving the strength of God. If you have an attitude that says, well, I don't need help from anyone, I got it all figured out. I can figure it out on my own. That's part of a closed fist life. If you don't pray about your decisions that you're making, you're saying, God, I don't need you. I've got it all figured out. Why would I pray about it? If you don't consult wise biblical counsel when you're walking through life and say, hey, help me on this journey about how to be a good dad or how to be a good husband or how to be a good mom or how to make good business decisions that honor Christ. Help me on this journey dealing with stress and anxiety and the difficult things in life. How do I do that in a way that honors God? If you're not willing to ask for help, you're saying, God, I'm strong enough. i got it all figured out. I'm powerful. See, but when we can open up our hands, undo our fists and say, God, I don't have it all figured out. God, I'm clueless. God, I need your help. God, I want to be a person of prayer. God, I want to be a person of your word. God, I want to be a person that engages with your kingdom and with your church and, and seek the help of wise counsel around me. When you open up your hands, God says, I have some great gifts for you. And you'll start to experience God's love, grace, and mercy in new ways that you've never experienced before. There's a third roadblock. That's the pacified. Now for a moment, just sit back like you just finished eating dinner and you're full. Rub your belly with me. Now some of you are not participating again. Come on. Rub your belly. You're full. That's the pacified. And some of us, that's how we live our lives. We live our lives as pacified. Mary prayed about that. She says, He has filled the hungry with good things, but He has sent away, sent, sent the rich away empty. Some of us are like the rich. See, if you're not hungry, then food doesn't look good to you. And if you're not cold, then a coat doesn't appeal to you. And if you feel you have everything you need, then God's love will mean very little to you. And you say, oh, I'm done. Life's good. I got a nice house. Have a nice car or a couple cars. I have a job. Yeah, it's not paying as much as it did a few years ago, but I'm still making ends meet. We're still paying our bills. Oh, we're, we're kind of full. We're good. Got some money in the bank, maybe not a lot, but a little bit, enough to be okay. I'm good. I think this is the world that Americans live in, pacified. So if you find you're patting your buddy, you're, you're patting your tummy, and you're full, your hands can't reach out and accept the bread of heaven. Your hands can't reach out except what God has for you. A minister wrote these words regarding the pacified. He wrote, I have experienced the truth of this firsthand. I was once a staff member at a very large and wealthy church, wonderful, good-hearted people, but in the years I was there, I never remember our church leadership praying about anything substantial. There was so much wealth and the endowments of the church so large that the leadership never cried to help for help. In a sense, they didn't need to. They were already full. Their hands were patting their bellies saying, no thanks, I've had enough. And I can honestly say that in those two years, I never experienced God's power poured out in the church. Could it be possible that maybe you're missing out on God's power being poured out in your own life because you sit back and say, oh, I've got, it. I've got it all. I've got all that I need, God. What else would I need? Why else would I be a person of prayer? Why else would I be a person in your word? See, you can't accept God's love with your arms folded across your chest. That's impossible. You can't accept God's mercy with your fist clenched 
And you surely cannot receive God's grace if you're sitting back rubbing your belly going, man, I've got it all taken care of. God, you're supposed to say, no thanks, I've had enough. You can only receive it when your hands are open to God's simple gift. You think about a baby for a moment. In the first service, we had, I think we had three newborns in here in their little car carriers. It was a great example. You think about babies. You think about those who are toddling around. What do they do? When you approach them, many times they'll approach you. Their hands are up. They're saying, pick me up, lift me up. This morning, as we were preparing, I was sitting here on the edge of the stairs, and I was talking to Xavier, Kyle's little boy, and I said, Xavier, come on up here. And Xavier walked up here to the steps, and I was sitting down. He picked his hands up like this, like, grab me, pick me up. That's the attitude of a child. A a child is like, pick me up, Daddy. A child lifts one hand. Take my hand and walk with me, Daddy. Guide me along the way, Daddy. And somewhere along life, we quit doing this to our moms and dads. And somewhere along life, we quit doing this to God, and we start doing this to God. See, until we get to the point where you say, pick me up, Father. Until we get to the point that we raise a hand and say, Father, I'm going to grab onto your hand. You guide me in life. Until we get to the point that says, Father, I am continually hungry. Father, I need you. My belly is not full of you. I need more of you. Until we get to that point, we're going to miss out on the gifts of Christmas that God has for us. You can only receive God's love when you reach out to God. You can only receive His mercy when your life is open to it. Some of us come into church and our hands are covered like this and our our minds are covered and our, our arms are crossed and we're just like, yeah, God, I'm here. Yeah, God, teach me something. Yeah, I'll put my hour in, God, and then I'll go home. Go on to whatever's next. Some of us go to Bible studies, that mindset. Well, yeah, that thing my wife wants me to go to or that thing my husband wants me to go to, I'll go over there. And our attitude the whole time is, yeah, God, I dare you to try to do something in my life. Until the day that we open ourselves up and say, God, I want you to move in my life. Until that becomes our mindset. Until that becomes our mindset that, God, I want you to move. God, I want more of you. Have you ever heard somebody say that before? You ever heard somebody say, give me more of Jesus. I want more of Jesus. I used to have a problem with that. I used to think, how much more of Jesus can you have? I mean, he, 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 Jesus went to the cross, and he died, and he was buried, and he rose again, and he, and he covered your, your, your sin and with his blood. How much more? And I've grown, and I've realized that people say that. They're saying, I don't want to ever run dry. I don't want to ever get old. I, don't want to ever, I want it to always be new. I want it to always be fresh. I just want more of Jesus. I want to know His mercy because His mercy has no limits. I, I want to know His love because His love can never run dry. That There's an endless supply of God's grace. I think what happens many times in us, we're like the kid at Christmas time. Oh, we come to Jesus many times, and sometimes it's when we're younger. Sometimes it's in our adult years. We come to Jesus, and we submit, and we say, Father, I want you to be my Savior. I want Jesus to do that in me. We repent of our sins. We confess our faith. We're baptized. We're excited about it. We start telling all kinds of people about it, and little by little, as water gets thrown on our fire, it gets dampened out, dampened out, dampened out. And at first, we start out like the new child who just can't wait to open up the gifts at Christmas. That's how we are in our faith. And then as life happens, it gets closed down more and more and more and more, and we receive less of what God has planned for us. Just like at Christmas where it's hard to sometimes receive gifts. See, Christmas is about giving. Christmas is about God giving us Jesus Christ to be our Savior. But more than that, Christmas is about us receiving. 
Are we receiving God's love? Are, are we receiving God's grace? Are we receiving God's mercy? You can't receive God's gift if your arms are folded tightly across your chest. You can't receive God's gift if your fists are clenched. You cannot accept God's gift if you're rubbing your belly and saying, I'm full. You can only receive God's gifts of Jesus Christ if your arms are open and your hands are stretched out and you're saying, God, I want more of you. Will you open your hands? Will you open your heart? Will you open your lives this Christmas season and say, God, I want more of you? And yes, I understand. You may have a party today and something going on this week and you probably still have shopping to do and all that stuff. This stuff's all okay as long as our heart and our mindset is, God, I want more of you. And if this stuff's in the way, then get it out of the way so I can receive more of you. And may our prayer be the same thing that Mary prayed when she prayed out and said, my soul magnifies the Lord. Heavenly Father, we lift you up in this place today. God, we want our Christmas to be focused on you. It's simply about Christ. Yes, Lord, we put up trees and decorations and do shopping and we gift sharing and having lots of you know, food gatherings and meals and times of getting together. But Lord, it's about you. And Lord, I pray that in our gatherings, we will lift up you. We will lift up your name. We will point everybody we gather with to Christ. And God, I pray that we'll do that in our own lives. That we'll unfold our arms that will unclench our fists, that we will quit patting our bellies and say, Lord, I, I want to be filled with you. Help us to lift our arms up to grab onto you. Help us lift our hand up to grab onto your hand. Lord, fill us with you. God, this Christmas, keep our eyes fixed on you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.